Relating to Self. A podcast that helps you create a better relationship with yourself. Hey, I'm Joachim. Welcome. Do you realize that there is only one relationship that you will always be in? The relationship with yourself. Improving that relationship changes everything. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and I invite real people to have vulnerable conversations about how they relate to themselves and what we can learn from that. In today's episode, Mary, who was with us a couple of episodes ago, comes back to ask me questions about how I relate to myself. Enjoy. Hey, Mary, welcome back to the Relating to Self podcast. It's good to be here. It's good to see, good to see you and get to hear you again. Yes, indeed. So um, today is one of those times that a guest liked our conversation so much that they requested to be back to be able to ask me questions instead of me asking them questions. And I've done a few of these before. I call them turn the tables. And so now you've been on the show, like I think, only a couple of episodes ago, and here you are again. And now it's my turn to answer your questions. That's right. I actually have a first question around why Why do you call it turn the tables? Uh, that's a really good question. I think I like the alliteration, turning mm. the tables, like TTT. Um, and it's also kind of the idea of, you know, maybe we were sitting at a table and I'm in the interview receipt usually, and then we're turning the table. And then you are in the interview receipt. Musical chairs. We're just <laughs> switching it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm really glad to be here to to uh, talk to you. And part of the reason is because I, the couple conversations that we've had both on the podcast as well as, as kind of off record have been really fascinating. I'd love to hear more about how you relate to yourself in the midst of all that. So I'm looking forward to where this conversation kicks us. So to start off, um, kind of a, I think a, a usual question for you, and it, I think it's a great, per, great place to start. Uh, I'd be curious to hear, what does relating to self mean to you? Mm. It's really interesting that you ask me that because this keeps shifting, right? The one thing mm. I've noticed is that no matter how much I think about this and I've asked this question to so many people now and I've collected all the answers and I've, every time I kind of think about what is my version of that, but it keeps changing over the years. And right now in this very moment, relating to self brings up something like tuning into what's real for me in this moment and being, I would say, almost brutally honest with what is actually happening for me. I've noticed in the past, and I think I've noticed this more in hindsight than anything else, that I was kind of not just suppressing ideas or desires, but even suppressing sensations and like things that were actually happening in my body. And maybe this wasn't always um, a very conscious thing, right? I wasn't purposefully numbing those sensations, but I just wasn't very aware of them. And I think relating to self for me now, most of all means attuning, like more and more being able to be present to what is actually happening for me in my body, in my mind, emotionally, all these things. That's the process of relating to self for me right now. Mm -hmm. The phrase brutal honesty stood out for me in that. How how does brutal honesty manifest for you? And and what about it? It it feels kind of um, I don't know, if the violence is kind of a part of it as well, but I don't I don't think that's how you're looking at it, but I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful question. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I use that term because it because of what it represents for most people. Right? It's like it's really difficult to be honest with ourselves about things that we think will cause problems in the world. Like, will mm. people look at me differently mm -hmm. if I'm honest about this thing? 
will will I maybe have trouble in my workplace or my social situation or my relationship or whatever it is if I'm honest about something that's going on for me. And I think the the brutally part there refers to simply not softening what is real. So it's it's a very mm. raw kind of approach of like, this is actually what I feel. This is actually what I desire. This is actually what I think. And I'm not going to censor it. I'm not going to soften it. I'm not going to mold it to make it safer for the world. And then in this case, obviously, is I'm not going to do that to make it safer for me to feel these things. I'm not going to pretend it's not there. So hence the the brutally, but you're absolutely right. There's no implied violence there towards myself. It's actually, I think, one of the kindest things we can do to be truly honest about what it is that's going on inside of us. Mm -hmm. I really resonate with that. Something I've been trying to practice more is directness, um, which I think has a has a similar flavor to what you're speaking about in terms of the the brutal honesty and it not being unkind. It's actually being like kind directness and it actually being so valuable to other people to know kind of what's going on for me such that they can interact with it as real rather than kind of like softened or cloaked or some kind of um I don't kind of like trying to fit a shape of the idea of what the other person would want rather than actually just showing the shape that that I am so it's it's to be clear I like that a lot, but I am nowhere mm-hmm. near as practiced in that than I am in doing that with myself. So I was mostly referring mm-hmm. to my relationship to myself, right? I think I'm at a place where I can be very, very honest and open with myself about what's going on for me. Then expressing that clearly and directly to other people around me, that's definitely still a practice that I'm stepping into, right? I'm, I feel like I have a lot more work to do there. Right, a learning edge uh, for you, but I feel like it, it's the same kind of like muscles or the the same kind of um, movements to do it internally. And so I'm curious, what has shifted in your life, or what was a was a moment in your relationship to self where you um, either chose to lean into that that brutal honesty? Um, was it more of a gradual process? Yeah, I think it's a gradual process. Um, I remember distinctly one of my first moments of awakening, I would call them, uh, which was during my very first meditation retreat, when suddenly I became aware of stuff inside of me that I had never seen before. Mm. And I remember thinking in that moment also, wow, if this is something that I had no idea about, there might be other things that I have no idea about. And I think I made a decision there at that point to be more brutally honest with myself in discovering these things and giving myself space and time to be able to do that. That was kind of maybe like, a I wouldn't call it a shift, but like a click moment. It's like, okay, let's like, it's like a light switch. Like, mm. let's switch on mm-hmm. the light. And then I'm not going to like, run through the whole room at once and see everything that's there, but I'm going to switch on the light and then allow myself to slowly discover what's what's in that room, something mm-hmm. like that. And if you were, if someone came to you and was like, I would really like to know how to be more honest with myself, what would be some of the, um, oh, like the practical or or kind of the practices or self self strategies that you use to to engage in that kind of relationship with yourself beautiful question i love it i think for me i have always known that i was lying to myself in the sense that i feel when you say something that is not really true to the outside world about yourself there's this small little voice or there's this thing going like ooh Maybe this isn't entirely true. And I also want to be compassionate and soft with this, as in, I think a lot of what we discover about ourselves is actually discovered in interaction, right? Mm -hmm. So it happens that people ask you a question 
you answer the question and then maybe you feel while answering, even if it was trying to be honest, while answering, there's this little voice inside that says like, ah, this might not be entirely true. So the first thing I would give as advice is something like allowing yourself to be wrong, not being attached to consistency. And in moments that you notice, oh, I've said something that may not entirely be true, just catch that and immediately go like, hey, I noticed that this may not be entirely true. And that could first be an internal process, right? Like just noticing that mm, I've said this thing that doesn't really resonate, there must be something else. And be honest about that. Training that muscle, I guess, to, to feel when you hear yourself speak and you say something, you say something that doesn't really align with who you are. I think that's a thing that most people have capacity for. Another thing. What are some, before oh, you go on, yeah. what are the um, like indications that one is telling a lie? Is it like, do you have, do you, have you felt it in your body? Is it like a clenching in your chest? You mentioned the voice, kind of the second voice. Is there any other signs of that? And I wanted to, I wanted to, to make sure we touch into that before oh, you go yeah, into yeah, sharing yeah. some more advice. <laughs> I think for me, again, like the, one of the most important things about this whole relating to self thing for me is that I truly think this is different for everyone, right? Everyone has their own path. Mm -hmm. It's all different. So for me, the signs that I have noticed when I hear myself saying things that maybe aren't entirely true, there's this kind of like cold sweat kind of thing. There's this like break of it. Ooh. And there's like this contraction that happens maybe in my chest or, or my shoulders that go like, and it, maybe it's, it's akin to like protecting yourself. It's like the, the body, mm. the body kind of closing to protect itself from, from outside danger. Um, also a kind of like a, sometimes literally I have like heart palpitations. So my heart will kind of act up in the moment. It will like flutter. Or it might be like a small burst of like heat. You know, you're, suddenly your face might feel like very warm. All of these could be signs. I love those. I, I, when you speak about a kind of your experience, I had the, 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 um, not that there's a particular moment that I remember lying to, like kind of lying to myself, but I know there are moments when, um, yeah, it feels like my experience kind of closes down or I feel distance from other people kind of being like, oh, I would want to say this differently next time. Or I, it feels like I've, I've stepped away from myself when I, when I share something. And it's oftentimes because I think it will fit what the other person wants, like wants to hear uh, from me. So um, a lot of those resonated with me. And I would like to add that this also happened in my own relationship with myself because, you know, there's so many dimensions of relating to self, right? Like when you speak to other people about yourself, that's one thing. But I've noticed that these things also happen with when I have conversations in my mind with the parts of myself that represent other people. Mm. This is a concept that I'm using quite often. It's like I'm talking to Mary right now. Mary's here. Mary is real. I can interact with Mary and authentically receive what Mary thinks and what Mary says. In about an hour, when we're not on this call anymore, anything that I think about Mary is basically just interacting with the part of me that represents Mary. I have this kind of model of who you are and what you would say. And I've noticed that the same kind of interaction or the, the, the closing in interaction can happen when I speak to these parts of myself that represent other people, specifically, for example, my mother, my father, you know, people who have had a lot of influence in my life, and who maybe were also related to trauma in, in some way. And then when, when I feel when I hear those voices speaking to me in my head, those parts of myself giving me information, then sometimes I catch myself also responding to those voices inside of me in a way that isn't entirely true to myself. And it's the same 
the same feeling that you describe, right? But there needn't always be other people involved. That was kind of like the gist of what I was saying. I love that. I love that. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And thank you for humoring me and sharing the the physical signs of it or the or the telltale signs. I'm curious to to if there's more that you wanted to say, uh, which I had a sense you did about um if someone was come to you, if someone was to come to you and kind of um ask the question of how um or how to how to have that kind of relationship oneself, mm. um, how would one go about it? Yeah, I think another thing that I would advocate for strongly is compassion. So much becomes easier when we accept the ways in which we have maybe hurt ourselves in the past or shown up to ourselves in ways that we actually didn't like. I feel it's it's the same as with like having stories and and suffering. I see a parallel there. It's like in itself none of the thoughts are toxic or, or difficult. But then creating a story and then giving energy to stories and going deeper into the rabbit hole of stories can create tension and then suffering. That's what happens. And I think it's a similar thing with when we acknowledge that we have done things in the past that weren't very kind to ourselves. Or even in the moment when you feel yourself representing yourself in a, in a way that doesn't feel true and you feel like, oh, I'm hurting myself in that way. In that moment, instead of going like, admonishing yourself and punishing yourself like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. That just makes it worse. The thing in itself isn't that bad. It's like, hey, I notice I've, I've not been kind to myself in, in expressing myself in this way or in doing this thing to myself. Ah, oh, yes, I see this has happened. I'm compassionate because I'm human. All humans do this. It's okay. Just like that release, just giving yourself permission to be unkind to yourself sometimes. And I'm not saying that as in you know, you should pursue that, but it will happen. And when it happens, it's so important to just smile and go like, yeah, I see you. And then let it go. My perspective uh, on that is kind of seeing those experiences as information, as data. Like, oh, this, this, I was unkind to myself. And like, I was unkind in these different ways. Let me make it different for next time, rather than kind of ruminating, ruminating in the ways that I have done kind of wronged myself in it rather like okay I did that um maybe laugh it off a little bit like oh that was not a nice thing to have done and I don't want to repeat this um instead of like you said admonishing yourself that I I shouldn't have done it should I feel like is the most dangerous uh word in the English uh language when used in like a I shouldn't have done this or or kind of holding that over oneself yeah and I would say the beautiful thing about that practice is that it then is 100% applicable to relationship with others. And when, when other people do things that wrong you, the thing itself maybe isn't that bad, but if you then hold on to it and you start like making a story, oh, they shouldn't have behaved like that, that why did they do this? Oh, I deserve better, you know, all these things. That's what creates the tension and the suffering, right? So once you have that capacity with yourself, you can use it with others. And when somebody, somebody does something that you don't like or that hurts you, you can also just be compassionate with them. You're like, oh, this person did a human thing. They they hurt me. They didn't know, or maybe they're hurting right now, or you know, they're they are in a place where this kind of made sense for them in this moment. But this doesn't necessarily say a lot about me or about our relationship. Mm -hmm. So you can hold all these things much lighter than when you have that skill trained. Yeah, the. I don't know if you've um, ever heard of coherence therapy and kind of the, the main core of coherence therapy being that everyone does everything for a reason, but there's always like a very good reason why we're doing uh, it. Usually that comes out of uh, like things that are not good for us um, are coming out of a place of trauma or that it makes sense, makes sense to some part. Um, so I, I always find that really valuable. Like I was unkind to myself and it made sense in that in that moment to me, it wasn't that I was doing anything wrong, but it actually made sense. We always make the best decisions that we can given given the the moment that we are. But every single moment is a new opportunity to make a different choice. And seeing the opportunity to to make a difference that that makes a difference uh, continuously is yeah, really I, important. 
I like that. I, to be clear, I know nothing of coherence therapy, so I'm not going to pretend. And I also know very little of IFS. But the way I would kind of frame that is that the parts of ourselves that behave in certain ways that could be harmful to us now exist in us because they were useful in the past. That's right. And a lot of these like, you know, very early kind of trauma things are just protecting ourselves, survival mechanisms that we don't need anymore in this moment, but they still kind of act up, right? And so then it's, it's understanding that we can let those behaviors go. I remember this may be an interesting thing, actually, for people listening. I remember doing an exercise that I found in a book. I don't remember the name of the book. I don't remember the name of the author. I apologize. I'm terrible with that. Um, and it was something like one of the common archetypes of early parts that people have is called the loyal soldier. It's like mm -hmm. a protector kind of part that mm -hmm. just doesn't allow people in because it's dangerous to allow people in. And then that book had a beautiful exercise, which was all about giving the loyal soldier a new job, like seeing them as kind of like a very old soldier that is like kind of ripe for retirement at this point, but they don't know it. And then going through a ritual of some kind within yourself to just like honor that loyal soldier and go like, wow, you saved my life in the past. Like literally you helped me survive. But right now I don't really need that kind of mechanism anymore. So what, what about like, you know, you retire and mm -hmm. we'll put you in the garden instead and you can tend to the flowers or something like that. And I really like that as an, as an image of how to speak to parts and how to deal with them. That reminds me of an exercise called feeding your demons, or it's a meditation called feeding your demons, uh, where essentially you um, meditate and you visualize yourself sitting across kind of your demon um, and, and kind of how they look like. And then you ask them, what do they need? And then you kind of feed them then whatever it is that they need in that, in that moment. And then they transform into a supporter of yours or like a, like a, uh, I think supporter, they might be what they, what they uh, name it in that meditation. And it's a really, really powerful kind of transformation and asking of what that, that demon of, of ours, what do they require? What are they caring about? And then kind of giving them a different, um, a different role. Um, I know that uh, Richard Schwartz book, uh, Internal Family Systems, um, has several examples of um, internal family system parts where they're once you know what they're caring about they transform into like evolved versions of those parts once once kind of those uh, different layers are are shed so it's i i love that part of ifs that it can that there's like a like a drama a transformation of it like a hero's arc of, of many of the parts uh mm -hmm. there and it's an internal uh kind of and it really speaks to how every single person has such a like a story within them that like there's so much richness in their experience um that maybe they are not even aware of or we're not even aware of yeah i like how you frame that it's like it, the image that comes to my mind now is something like an internal theater it's like you know this big greek drama unfolding inside of us and then all these things happening it's funny because the 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 demon meditation, I didn't know that at all. It's the first time I hear about this, but it's very similar to something I've been doing for a while. That's kind of like shadow work. Mm -hmm. um, and speaking to your shadows, asking what they need and so on. Um, yeah, well, I guess in the end, a lot of the methods and the frameworks that we use to talk about these things are related because they're all about the same thing, right? They're all about... Like, Although compassion go, goes back to the first thing that yes, you said of this in this yes, thread, it's compassion. Yeah, it's so true though. That is, yeah, if you, if you just practice compassion, everything else becomes so much easier. Is there anything else that you'd like to share in this, in this uh, vein of, of advice for someone else or kind of mm -hmm. what you've reflections you had i have some other thoughts and directions so i'm curious to kind of <laughs> make sure to deepen we're pitching a tent and staying here nice i like that i like that you ask for now nothing feels particularly important to to say so i'd love to just flow with whatever next you have perfect well 
as you were talking about um, kind of like the brutal honesty and one of the things that you started um, off of with was talking about the noticing the lies that we have, that, that you have kind of told yourself over time. And I'm curious to whatever degree that you're comfortable with sharing some of the biggest lies that you've told yourself Ooh, <laughs> over <juicy>. the years. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Ooh. Yeah, sure. And how have the transformed your experience, how they have transformed kind of on the same vein as transforming demons um, or have that impacted your life to notice the ways that you've lied to yourself? Wonderful question. Hmm. I think the biggest lie I used to be attached to is something like, I am fixed. I can't change. There's a, this is who I am. This will always be the I'm case. the type, I'm the type of person. I'm the type of, per, type of person yeah. who. <laughs> yeah. And so, and in that, in that container of what couldn't change, there was a very strong sense of not being worthy. Right? Like I'm, I'm not worth experiencing goodness or joy or pleasure, all these things. Um, even maybe without clear reasons, just like the idea, I think I, I was quite impacted or, or influenced by these early ideas that probably come from Christianity at some point, this whole idea of sacrifice and, and suffering as, mm. as a catalyst for release or whatever, like enlightenment. And so I guess the biggest lie I told myself is that I was okay suffering. I was okay sacrificing myself. And it was very difficult to release myself from that because it really was an identity at some point, right? I, I was really good at it. I was really good at sacrificing myself for the goodness of others or the pleasure of others or the comfort of others or all these things. And so I almost carried that as a, as a banner, like, you know, like, look, this is me, mm -hmm. this, is, this is who I am. And then being stuck in that mindset where this is fixed, you can imagine how, how that kind of perpetuates suffering because the suffering is seen as actually good. So, whew, yeah. And I think a lot of the lies I told myself kind of maybe even flowed from that, like we're downstream from, from those kind of ideas. And they're all about like, oh, I am in relationship with this person, whatever, whatever that relationship was. And that person treats me mm -hmm. really badly. You know, they, they hurt me. They say hurtful things. They, they're not kind. And the lies were something like, oh, that's all okay. You know, I can handle this. This is my strong point. This is this is mm. where I shine when people treat me badly. Right. Like, you know, that's that's what I can handle. Um oh, that is so toxic, right? That's yeah. Well, and like the suffering. It's, I'm suffering, so something's going right, yeah. right? I'm suffering. And it is it yeah. I was it connected then to worthiness? If I suffer, then I'm worthy of happiness worthy of oh no i wasn't worthy of happiness so that's, that's the thing right I right think that, <laughs> uh, i think it's more related perhaps to like a an early model of love growing up in a situation where i didn't feel very seen i didn't feel heard i i wasn't treated kindly i think i learned to associate those kind of behaviors with with love, like tough love, something like that. You know, if, if someone punishes mm. me, it's because I've done something wrong and they are actually being loving by punishing me. If someone talks to me in a very harsh and hurting way, that's because they love me and they want to improve me. These kind of patterns. So I think it was more related to like an experience of, of love and a search for love, which I think was really more a search for being seen, if anything. But I, I didn't get that until much, much later in my journey. Mm -hmm. So a little bit of a, of a spicy question here. Um, what is the difference between kind of like tough love, love and brutal honesty between yourself? Mm -hmm. like what? Because they could be like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm being direct, um, and and kind of sharing what I'm seeing, and and I, 
I have an intuitive sense that they're very different. But I'm curious how you see the difference mm. between between the two. Yeah, thank you for that. I think the I think they could be similar, but when I named tough love before, I don't think that was tough love. Mm. So mm-hmm. I think people being mean to me, I framed as tough love. Right. That's a very different thing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of like how I Absolutely. rationalized that and and made it okay for myself. I think it was just unkindness or you know whatever else uh, happened for those their people. own stuff. It was their own stuff trying to be projected yeah, onto exactly. onto you. Exactly, exactly. Um, regardless of that, I think the just thinking about like tough love versus brutal honesty. For me, I don't think there is a, such a thing as tough love. Mm-hmm. Love isn't tough. <laughs> there, there is no... Spiky. <laughs> yeah. I think, I guess the difference is in the means of expression. I think what people confuse perhaps is like, hey, you know, if I want to be brutally honest to you about something you've done that has hurt me, I can choose to express that in a compassionate and kind way. Mm-hmm. That, I think, is loving. I think the tough refers to, I'm just going to, you know, hit you with it. And I'm, I'm going to just allow myself to, to be ugly. And I don't think that's loving, ever. I'm not saying that that's wrong in the sense that for some people, maybe that's the only thing that's available to them at that point. Right? And mm-hmm. I honor that. That's okay. But if if you have the capacity to choose, if you have the capacity to think about it, then I think that any kind of expression, even if it's a very hard truth to express or to receive, can be communicated with a soft, gentle, and kind demeanor. And so, yeah, tough love is kind of like a an oxymoron, I guess. As you were speaking, um, the difference for me that I I, um, I haven't thought about it much, so it feels like a first kind of pass on it uh, myself, is that the, the brutal honesty centers in the person sharing it, kind of opening themselves up, being like, I want to express this such that, um, like, you know, my experience and kind of welcoming that person into the experience. There is a vulnerability to it as well as a, as well as an invitation into that ex, into that experience. And the the brutal honesty is less so much about trying to change someone's experience, but opening up that kind of that kind of um, the person sharing. And to me, tough love feels like I'm doing it for you. Mm. I'm I'm doing it for you. So you are. So you get better at this right, and there right. isn't a vulnerability there is like a uh some f- it, it feels kind of selfish um and and I'm very careful because selfish uh is actually a really beautiful world as where well. it's like it's, being selfish is beautiful but it feels like um I don't know like a grant self-grandiosing of like I know better so I'm going to 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 gift you with tough love that will toughen you up um and there isn't much vulnerability in it kind of an an idea of what kind of my version of love is rather than seeing the the other person so uh, but i agree in that tough love is an as an oxymoron we were just talking about compassion and love being kind of this like opening and and uh welcoming rather than this kind of like directing force yeah i love what you said and it brought some more clarity to me as well where i think that the the brutal honesty like you said is inviting it's about opening up something that is more honest and maybe the tough love is actually about controlling it's about trying to change Mm -hmm. the world around us to fit what we need and i think that's always the wrong choice Mm -hmm. and going back to then the the kind of biggest lies that you've told you told yourself uh you're talking about having the experience on on the outside of tough love have you at that time when you were when you were still in that kind of story of yourself, did you ever um, direct tough love towards yourself? Mm, great question. Yeah, for sure. I think just staying in those situations is a form of tough love. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then obviously also attracting those situations over and over again, you know, surrounding yourself with people who treat you in that way is a form of tough love. And it's related to a belief that that is how it should be. And 
I think also the, the negating of my desires is also a kind of tough love. And that's something I'm, I'm still dealing with. <laughs> you know, so many decades later, I still am uncovering the ways in which I have suppressed my own desires so much that to the point that it sometimes becomes hard to even know what they are. Right. And so like, when I think back at that, when I was younger, maybe when I started feeling a desire to like, Hey, I would love to be treated kindly, or, you know, I would love to just like receive a gentle touch instead of like a, a screaming <laughs> sermon or something. Um, I think part of the tough love that I had for myself was then to say things like, Oh, but this shouldn't happen because you're not worth it. Or it's not right. Or, you know, connect, reconnecting with that identity of, but I am the person who suffers and I'm good at suffering and suffering is what mm -hmm. will, what will let me enter the kingdom of heaven anyway. So, you know, kind of like that, that definitely was tough love to myself. Mm -hmm. What was there like a moment of shift when you real, when you kind of realized and, or, or that kind of um, stories or lies that you were telling yourself where, where there was a moment where you're like, no more of this. Was it again, more gradual? What illuminated this, this, this story and what led to where you are right now? Because we're talking decades ago and you're here. And I was like, Oh, it's like a black box. It's a question mark, <laughs> this question mark. Yeah, you know, that's, that's an interesting thing, because I always ask that question to my guests as well, right? And I think it's quite difficult to pinpoint things. I mean, there's obviously a lot of things that have helped along the way, you know, meditation, mm -hmm. certain practices, meditation practice, maybe even embodied practices, reading certain books, maybe even seeing certain movies, you know, where, where characters act in a certain way, that just makes people aware of like, oh, wait, this is also an option. And then mm -hmm. over time, kind of, I think time is a big factor as well, right? Just like maturing. And I think one of the most important factors of time is that it showed me that this idea that I was fixed was wrong. Because you evolve over time, no matter what, you change. So maybe part of the tough love I had for myself was trying to keep myself in the box of how I had defined myself early on. Time is just stronger than that. It's like a river flowing and, you know, the, the rocks eroding. You can't stop that. You change. And just waking up to that reality of like, oh, you know, I'm not the thing that I define myself as. I should stop trying to put myself back into that box because I'm not there anymore. That becomes very helpful, I think, to then open yourself up to other processes that can also actively help you change and renew your identity, redefine who you are in a more kind and compassionate way, hopefully. Um, but again, I don't think there were like specific instances. Um, one thing that I do remember that kind of like made a shift is the first time I kind of set a boundary. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, love boundaries. <laughs> yes. Is there a story to that? <laughs> yes, there's a story. Um, it's very small. It's actually quite simple. It's my first ever girlfriend. I was with her for like vaguely six years, but it wasn't very clear because then we didn't really live in the same place anymore. And she was cheating on me with people. And so mm. it wasn't maybe in hindsight, were we still together or not? I don't know. But she kept behaving in ways that told me we were together when she needed things whether that was like mm -hmm. money or favors or like connection, whatever it was. And I kind of like played along with that. I think that was one of those lies I told myself <laughs> something like, oh, you know, we're still in a relationship. She still loves me because she asked these things from me, even though outside of that, she doesn't really treat me very well or lovingly mm -hmm. or kindly, you know? So, yeah. And then at one point, I remember she she needed like a, a huge favor, a, a big favor. She she actually wanted wanted to she wanted me to write an opera for her as like as a final project for her singing studies. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I think we were already like kind of broken up. And I remember having a conversation with her about like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm open to that, but 
what does the financing look like? Because at that point I was a professional composer. And so I was used to kind of like, you know, getting paid for my work. Like it almost feels... That's right. And you're worth yeah. <laughs> being worthy of at least at least uh, your, your skills. Yeah. But it feels almost strange to talk about that because that's such a struggle as a musician in general, right? Like there's, there's so much stuff you do for free. <laughs> and like even asserting that kind of like, you know, I'm, I should receive some money for like working for months. Maybe <laughs> that felt really strange. <laughs> Please, yes, have you thought about it? Like have that. you considered? Yeah, and then obviously, you know, she didn't have any money. This was just for for her school. Mm. It wasn't like mm -hmm. a an official project that was supported by like an institution or anything like that. So she tried to make me do that without any kind of financial support, and I think that was the very first time that I said no to her, and I was I was shocked myself. Kind of like I was almost surprised that I was able to hold that boundary. But that was obviously after so much stuff had already gotten out of hand. And I think she was very shocked that I, that I said no, because she probably was very secure in her knowing that she could manipulate me in having me done that, doing it for her. But then I said no. And the thing that shifted I think it was more like a slap in the face of reality was that after that, she kind of never even talked to me anymore. <laughs> you said, you said no once. And <laughs> yes. And that made me aware of like, Oh, wait a second. <laughs> like all this time. Yeah. You know? And so that was, that was a very direct kind of confrontation of the power of boundaries and the power of holding my no. And that having an, a tremendously beneficial effect to my life, that I didn't realize immediately because for a very long time, I was then very sad that she didn't talk to me anymore because <laughs> I still lived in this illusion that, you know, at least we could be friends or she liked me or something like that. But that was just all wrong. And the, the power of that boundary was that it showed that to me quite brutally. Uh, you know, the brutal right. truth was revealed. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. I, I think boundaries are so valuable as like both in relationship with others but in also in relationship with ourselves like know where boundaries are and even hold boundaries with ourselves and so yeah thank you so much for sharing that i feel yeah. i feel kind of reinvigorated by that i have a question for you if you don't mind yes <laughs> because this, of this idea of boundaries with the self right i think this is i've been thinking about this a lot one of the things i have learned about boundaries, thanks to my therapist, one of my therapists, was that if you set boundaries without having any kind of consequences for not honoring them, then you don't really have boundaries. Because that was a thing that then later on I struggled with as well. I expressed boundaries, but people wouldn't honor them. They would still transgress my boundaries. And then the only thing that would happen is that I would reiterate the boundary but then they can yeah. keep transgressing them, right? So the important part is that there are consequences to continuous transgression of boundaries, which is then something that I have done with my mother, for example. Boundaries were set, which was extremely difficult, obviously. They were not honored. And then I had to, thanks to my therapist, I had to like make a, a consequence. And I said, look, if you do not honor my boundaries, I will cut contact. I will no longer want to speak to you. And mm -hmm. then obviously the boundaries were not held and I had to enforce that then, which was quite a, quite a difficult thing, but I did. Which brings me to my question, which is when you talk about, you know, the boundaries with the self, how do you see the enforcing of the consequences of the boundaries with yourself? Because unlike with other people, you can't really remove yourself from the relationship. So I'm really curious what, what you think about that. The consequence of a, of a boundary being broken for the other person is an indication that something is different. That kind of like a feedback loop com completing itself. That if I, if, if this happens, this is the impact of it. And so when I think about consequences, especially with myself, it's, there is a, layer of of it being valuable to reflect what the impact is of that boundary being broken um kind of being being aware of that um i 
it's a very interesting, interesting thought because then I, then, then it goes into like coercion and like, do I punish myself for having broken a boundary? Um, but, but when I think about boundaries is like, they're meant for, they're meant as, um, I don't know, like rules or principles of how I want to interact with the rest of the world such that it benefits me. One of the boundaries that, uh, I have and I try to upkeep with myself is um, like a simple one in terms of of not working kind of long into the night or kind of being aware of my own experience um, and not pushing myself too hard because there have been times where I have broken that boundary where I have pushed myself so hard I've actually hurt myself in that in that process. So the consequence of that boundary being or like the impact of that boundary being broken was my own physical experience, kind of recognizing that that has, that has happened. And in when now I think about kind of coming close to the edge of, of breaking that boundary, there is this part of me that comes up being like, is it worth it? Because you know, what's on the other side. And that's essentially what the, like what I see as the consequence being like, okay, this is what's on the other side. Is it worth it to be breaking that that boundary? This goes back to the, the thing we were talking about around being kind to oneself. It's like, oh, I've broken my own boundary. I'm not going to cut off contact with myself or to punish myself through that, but I'm going to recognize the impact of the boundary. Um, oftentimes I actually set the boundary because I'm not because the impact that it had is was was something that I didn't want to continue um, in in my life. So it's I think in in that way the boundaries we set with ourselves are different than the boundaries we set with others. But the purpose that they serve of kind of um, being principles of how we want to interact with the rest of the world um, kind of still still holds. Mm. Yeah, I hear you. I think that's beautiful. I would like to add that for me, when I set boundaries with myself and I feel myself consistently not upholding my boundaries, I see that as an indication that I need to renegotiate my values with myself. Because then it becomes about like, okay, if if mm -hmm. I work in the night consistently impacting my health in a negative way and breaking that boundary that I had set with myself, Maybe that's because I value the work being done more than my health right now. And maybe that's even okay. <laughs> I, you know, the, the, it's, it's about understanding what is it that I truly value. And is there a reason why I value that more now than perhaps when I set that boundary? So, yeah, that makes sense. But so I agree that they are different from, from boundaries that we can set with the world and with others and also very useful. Yeah. It it makes me think of the importance of recognizing that again we are processes, that things that we care about change over time and and the boundaries are set in place to be of support for something that we care about. And if we are consistently breaking or kind of um of yeah, breaking those boundaries, then it's actually a moment to pause and be like, "Oh, what's what's important here? It's, it's a, it's kind of like an error signal that not that like it's wrong. And again, we're doing something wrong, but oh, it's an indication of something having changed or something being out of uh, alignment and that the boundaries are there to support us. I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of like structure is there to support us. The moment the structure starts constricting us, then it's time to change the structure or at least to look at the structure and have a sense of how to, um, how to to change it. And I, I often, I, the, the people that I coach with and I work with, they're like, I want to have like the system to be productive or like <laughs> the system to be doing it. I was like, you will not get the system. You will get the version of the system that works for you right now and expect it to change, like expect it to fail, expect it to change. Uh, because if you have an idea that this is going to be the way that it's forever, you're again, trying to uh, fix yourself, like to keep yourself fixed rather than 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 in process and and seeing everything as a as a system beautiful i love Great. that and it, it, the one thing that comes up for me is that yeah this is all related to our fear of death isn't it it's like this idea of 
controlling the process, controlling the systems, getting the right one in place. And, and that makes, makes it kind of eternal, it's honoring the fact that things change all the time and will, will shift, will deteriorate, is kind of like an acceptance of death, or at least that's what comes up in my mind. <laughs> yeah. So I have one last question to kind of wrap things up here. In the vein of, of process of shifts, I'm curious, what do you see or what do you, I don't know, predict or even desire in the next phase of your relationship with yourself? Ooh, juicy. Oh, that's a really interesting one. I've never thought about this. I'm not sure there is a next phase to my relationship with myself. And what I mean by saying that is something like I am at the point where I do not perceive any tension in my relationship with myself. I don't feel that there's anything that I would want to be different, which is both mm -hmm. saying I'm in a really good place with myself and I'm also accepting of, you know, whatever is. I think the, the next phase of my development, I guess, if you want to call it that, is going to be more about my relationship with others. I feel mm -hmm. like the, the shifts that I have gone through in my relationship with myself and all the, the goodness that has happened there hasn't fully manifested yet in the world around me. I am still in the process of bringing that out, of expressing it more and then seeing how I can renegotiate what it means to relate to other people. Because I think I still have quite a bit of memories and processes and habits that come from the period of me where I didn't have a healthy relationship with myself. And then obviously the world seemed a certain way and, and difficult. And I think now that I have this beautiful, loving relationship with myself, I can step into the world from a new perspective and rebuild that social structure around me. And I've been doing this for a while, but I think that's where most of the, of the growth will happen in the coming phase. Well, that's beautiful. It's definitely the, the learning and relationship to self is the core that then kind of radiates out of. So I'm glad to be a part of your life in that. And I will self self select myself into the <laughs> into the relating to others uh, phase yes, of please. your life. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your your openness and um, honesty. I don't there was brutal honesty to it <laughs> as well. <laughs> and thank you for uh, yeah, your presence and who you're as a person it was a pleasure talking with you today. Mary, thank you so much for, for doing this. I so appreciate you coming here, asking me all those thoughtful questions and bringing out these very juicy and difficult things. Um, very happy with how this turned out. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast. You can also read more of my thoughts on Twitter. I will post a link in the description. And if you are interested in improving your relationship with yourself, please subscribe to my email list at relatingtoself.com. I will then send you meditations, rituals, practices, and more of these beautiful conversations. Thanks.